Welcome to Food Focus, a weekly companion to the Retail Focus podcast. Each show will discuss news, issues, and product releases in the restaurant, fast food, beverage, and grocery industries. Here are your hosts, Trent Kling and Leighton Kling. Welcome to another edition of the Food Focus Podcast. Trent and Layton Kling with you. Lots to discuss, so let's just launch right into it. And we begin our show today with the Colorado law that will, over the next 20 years, endeavor to repeal 3-2 beer in grocery stores by allowing grocery stores over the next 20 years and beyond to acquire a limited amount of liquor licenses. So this is a story that we covered a little bit during our Retail Focus podcast, signed into law by Governor John Hickenlooper in Colorado. He once owned Wincoop Brewing, by the way, it seems important to point out. But essentially what we mean by 3-2 beer, five states currently, Colorado, Kansas, Minnesota, Oklahoma, and Utah, still have 3-2 beer laws in place. They essentially stipulate that no one outside of a full liquor store can sell anything higher than beer that is 3.2 alcohol by weight, which translates to about 4.2 alcohol by volume. Oklahoma's ability to sell higher than 3-2 beer in grocery stores is actually going to ballot this November. There's legislation proposed in Kansas as well to repeal any restrictions on sale of beer and wine in grocery stores. And in Colorado, this bill that was signed into law takes effect July 1st. It'll be a gradual rollout, as I mentioned, 20 years, but it will give grocery store chains like King Supers, Safeway, and so forth the ability to purchase liquor licenses either from the state or local liquor stores. We talked to Jake Laxon on the Retail Focus podcast earlier this week, and this is how he summarized the bill. So basically it allows grocery stores to buy liquor license from established, you know, like mom and pop or from established liquor stores that already have it. Essentially, the grocery stores won't just be legalized for them to do. They're going to have to purchase that liquor license from someone who already has one. So this is a way of sort of trying to protect those smaller businesses and at least giving them at least a little power in, in this. Because if you just allow grocery stores to do that, then it's going to have an impact on the established businesses. You know, some of them that have been established for, for years and years and operated under the old regulations. So if you change the regulations, it, you know, it could have a huge impact. So this, like you said, is really sort of a compromise and kind of protects those smaller liquor stores that, you know, if they're not going to want to go head-to-head with the grocery store, they can at least profit off of selling their liquor license to a grocery store. All right, so you hear him talk about how the bill is designed to take effect. And, Leighton, this will bring at least some freedom to grocers who want to sell full alcohol beer, but still this rollout taking place over 20 years, this seems like it's a very gradual system, and we're unlikely to see any real change anytime soon. Yeah, I think the 20-year rollout is really going to be implemented to help the mom-and-pop stores, those liquor stores there that have been around for quite some time, kind of prepare for this transition and kind of help them through this process. So like you said, it's going to be a gradual process. But as you had mentioned, grocers like King Supers, Safeway, Kroger, and Walmart all really want to have a piece of the pie in terms of the liquor business. They want to be able to sell full-strength alcoholic beverages. They say this is obviously for the customers. They want to be able to offer these alcoholic beverages to the customers and satisfy their needs. They feel like they've really been lacking in this area for quite some time, and they feel like it's really not an even playing field. 20 years is a fair amount of time 
to have the adjustment made for the mom and pop liquor stores. But right now, they're actually fighting to collect enough signatures from Colorado voters to put the issue on the November ballot. They actually want to repeal this 20-year rollout. They want to be able to have grocery stores have this rollout actually immediately and not have any more time to waste. That's correct. There is a group circulating this petition. If they get enough signatures, over 90,000 signatures required to put it on the ballot statewide in November, that would give the option for voters to decide whether or not they want grocery stores to carry liquor that is either above 3.2 beer and also wine or full-fledged liquor in their stores. This initiative is being spearheaded by the grocery stores that you mentioned, feeling that that 20-year rollout is going too slow. This is a unique situation because I think if it were any other product, this would have been done years ago. You would never think of something like a sporting goods store, for example, being unable to sell baseballs because there are smaller mom-and-pop baseball retailers that are in the area around that. So liquor is very unique for a number of reasons, but certainly some of these antiquated laws are still in place. And for whatever reason, the lawmakers are very concerned with these mom-and-pop businesses when, honestly, when you look at it, you might be able to drive more growth, both in terms of jobs and in terms of the economy, if you release all restrictions altogether. And really who you're benefiting by having this 3-2 beer law in place and still remaining in place in Colorado or in any other state, are the massive beer companies, your InBevs of the world, your Molson Coors of the world, those companies that make the beer that is under that 3-2 level or at 3-2, who you're hurting, honestly, are the smaller craft beer retailers and also the local stores. When you look at it in Colorado, at least, each store can only have one liquor license. So each company can only have one liquor license. Well, there's a business called Total Beverage in Colorado. They actually have multiple locations, but they have to kind of conceal that under different ownership. So each one of the Total Beverage locations in Colorado is under different ownership. And I think overall what you're going to see is possibly challenges from those businesses as well to attempt to expand and acquire additional licenses. Absolutely. And I think if you actually look at the total amount of consumption in Colorado, you'll see actually a tapering of the 3.2 beer. The time is now really for grocers to have this enacted and really start selling full strength alcoholic beverages. In 2015, total sales of 3.2 beer were 4.5 million gallons, generating roughly $357,000. This actually was down from 2007 levels by about 68%. So already you're really seeing the mom and pop stores really taking advantage of this even in the last decade or so and really trying to capitalize on the market share that the grocers don't have. Moving on, we turn our attention to the fast food or fast casual food industry as Five Guys continues their aggressive expansion in regards to their in-store shake stations across the country. Now, the shakes were first launched at Five Guys back in test markets in 2014. They took about a year to test them out there, but slowly and surely we're starting to see locations that offer shakes expand throughout the country, and especially now that we're full-on into summer, I think Five Guys is trying to expedite this process. Summer is the time if you want to start to implement certain shakes inside your individual locations. 
Five Guys is really known for their fresh ingredients. Everything is made to order. They actually don't have freezers inside any of their over 1,000 locations here in the U.S. So that's quite interesting. Everything is fresh. They only use coolers, and all their shakes are actually are going to be hand-spun. So that's something they're really trying to market. And right now, they have a Twitter hashtag that's running about share your shake. So they're really trying to push this, as you mentioned, in the summer months. It's hot out. People want to shake. Nothing is better than a shake to accommodate your burger and fries. Five Guys, as for them, they have a cult-like following. Really, I think this is going to be good for this really large customer base they have. They've been having requests for shakes for quite some time. And in 2014, they had test markets to start to bring in these shakes into select markets. Again, 1,000 locations total in about 48 states and six Canadian provinces. So they have quite a bit of expansion to go. Yeah, this week alone, they've opened up 15 shake stations, and that's as of this time when we're recording the podcast, probably five or six more to go this week, nearly 50 since the beginning of June. That accounts for nearly 5% of their stores. And a lot of news outlets might not be noticing this because they're doing it a little more gradually and they're flying under the radar. There haven't been really any major news outlets to cover these shake locations or shake stations being introduced in their locations throughout the country since 2015. But they're really trying to expedite the process. The shake stations, how they work, as you mentioned, they are hand-spun, which... That's kind of a shake buzzword, to be honest with you. There's not a big difference in terms of your hand holding the blender unit versus the machine holding the blender unit. So how much difference the hand-spun aspect of it makes, I'm not entirely sure. As someone who has a business that also makes shakes, it doesn't really make a ton of difference. Although now you're seeing everyone, including Hardee's and Carl's Jr., for example, advertise hand-spun shakes. But they have mix-ins that include bacon, banana, chocolate, Cherry, coffee, dark vanilla syrup, malted milk, Oreo cream, which is interesting, Oreo pieces, peanut butter, salted caramel, and strawberry. There's a limit on 10 of these mix-ins that are offered at any given Five Guys store, and they rotate in and out based on seasonality and based on the market. Most of these aren't syrup-based, and that kind of dovetails nicely with their mission as a company to get back to the real ingredients. So when you ask for peanut butter, it's not peanut butter syrup. It's the actual peanut butter. When you ask for banana, it's not banana syrup. It's the actual banana. What's more is people can mix and match flavor combinations for no additional cost. So it's not as though every additional flavor you put in your shake adds 50 cents or a dollar to the total. What they do is they cut the overall amount. So if you get a banana and chocolate shake, you'll get half as much of each as compared to if you were to only order banana or only order chocolate. So it creates an atmosphere where customers are encouraged to try a lot of different things. And once again, that made-to-order aspect is really underscored through this shake rollout. And when you talk about Five Guys, you'd be remiss if you didn't mention the competition. Obviously, Shake Shack is also known for their shakes, so they're really trying to compete in this overall space. And you mentioned the mix-ins. Shake Shack actually has the same amount of mix-ins at 10, and some locations even offer beer and wine. So 
Five Guys really wants to take advantage of the space overall and really try to give their customers an opportunity to have more of a beverage variety available. I think this is really good and I think it is good when you look at the overall offerings here like you mentioned, you can mix in different flavors and you can mix and match and so trying different things and giving customers this option and not really penalizing them for trying out different flavors as they roll this out is really a good thing for Five Guys. I think overall, if you look at Five Guys and you see growth opportunity, milkshakes are going to play a role in this. It's important to note they were able to pilot this program in 2014. They kind of took it slowly, saw the overall demand for milkshakes, and have now been expanding that throughout all of their locations. I, I feel as though if you look at their overall amount of locations in development, they have over 1,500 additional locations in development. So this is the time to grow their product mix as they are growing their number of locations. It'll certainly make it easier for Five Guys to include these shake stations within their stores as they begin to build. Not that anyone cares about this, but calorie content for shakes is about 690 or higher, depending on your mix-ins there, which is pretty much industry standard. Shake Shack, their calorie count is anywhere between 640 and up above 1,000 for some of their particular shakes. They're obviously trying to build some brand loyalty as well with this program, the ability to sell shakes in stores so that Five Guys customers aren't going somewhere else for their ice cream products. It's not a higher margin product, and in fact, you oftentimes have to have a staff member overseeing the shake station. You also have to pay increased refrigeration costs, and you have to worry about those 10 ingredients as well. So there are a lot of concerns about shakes versus soda, which is a high margin product that's very easy to produce a lot of and doesn't require any additional staffing. So it's an ambitious program for five guys anxious to see where this heads in the future. Keeping along the theme with fast food, McDonald's is selling its corporate-owned locations in China as they've opened up bidding and have received over a half dozen bids for all of their McDonald's locations inside China, Hong Kong, and they also desire to sell South Korea locations as well, but that's going to take place at a separate time. But reports indicate that bidding could be close to $3 billion when it's all said and done. They're going to have a few rounds of bidding. The first round was actually completed on June 20th, so that actually was this last Monday. McDonald's is trying to entice bidders by offering a larger, more stable 20-year franchise agreement with a 10-year optional extension at the end. What this does is they really want to try to secure these locations and make sure they're not going to be volatile in the future. They want a strategic partner that they know is going to be there through the long run. This is going to help bring stability in a number of ways. McDonald's, along with Yum! Brands, which has Pizza Hut and KFC locations within Hong Kong and China both, they've been coming under a number of food woes as it's been harder and harder to keep track of supplier quality throughout the supply chain. Seems like, on the surface at least, a good move for McDonald's corporate to be able to contract these out through franchise agreements. As you mentioned, the local companies in China or 
in Asia will have a better idea of where to source ingredients from. This kind of removes the necessity for McDonald's to have oversight over these stores as a whole. And you see a lot of fast food restaurant chains start to do this, whether in domestic holdings or in overseas holdings. So it seems like a win all the way around for McDonald's, especially since there is so much interest. It would be an entirely different circumstance if they were to release these locations up for bid and they received no bids. But as you mentioned, they received six bids already. There are multiple rounds of bidding planned. The restaurants involved will be in China, Hong Kong, and South Korea, as reported by Reuters. So a different approach, certainly, to international sales for McDonald's. But from a corporate perspective, certainly, not necessarily a food perspective, but a corporate perspective, at the very least, this seems like a good deal for them. Absolutely. I think this could help McDonald's in a number of ways. One, they can devote more energy and focus to all the important U.S. locations. We've all been listening to the broadening of the all-day breakfast menus with inside the North American locations and then also to continue to innovate. They, they're consistently trying new ways of promoting different food items, and they've really been trying to hone down the concept of seasonality. They really w- want to make sure their customers feel that brand loyalty, and so they're trying out different things. For instance, you see the different sizings with the Big Macs that they're offering in some Texas locations and things like that. So really taking an eye off of the Chinese markets and letting the strategic partner do most of the work. They want someone who's actually based in China and has experience within those markets. You've seen those food woes really translate into competition, taking a bite out of McDonald's meal, if you will. You've seen that time and time again through the last seven or so quarters. Other competitors coming in, really taking advantage of the bad PR that McDonald's has received. Earnings have also been taken a hit because of this. Overall net income for McDonald's in China in 2015 was only $65 million. So this actually might translate into a lesser total amount they'll get for these total 2,800 locations they're trying to sell off. Right now, again, close to $3 billion is the rumored amount that they're trying to get. But other analysts are saying that $2 billion is more likely. Moving back into grocery down in Texas, Kroger is expanding a system they call ClickList that enables customers to go online and shop online, submit their order, and then pick up and pay at the store without having to get out of their car. So this is a curbside service. It's a relatively newer system for Kroger. It's existed since November 2014, started out in Ohio. Right now, several stores are live with the program in Texas. Four stores are going live with it this week, and 17 more will go live in the fall. There is a $4.95 per order fee for customers after the first three orders are submitted, but this seems to be the way of the future in the grocery space with these curbside delivery services and online ordering. Absolutely. And you and I have reported on the Retail Focus podcast here recently about Walmart's expansion into curbside and some of the northeastern markets. This is similar, actually. Kroger is offering this for a $4.95 fee after the first three orders. It's a promotional offering within most of the markets that they have ClickList, which is the name of the program they are rolling out. It's similar to Walmart's curbside, but the first three orders will be free for customers who sign up online. And really, you're looking at 
Kroger taking advantage of their overall size and ability to have this amount of capital expenditure within these individual locations. Something that interested me from this was just how much goes into these types of programs when you're this big of a grocer like Kroger. Again, as you mentioned, 21 stores in North Texas, each of these locations are going to have 20 additional employees that they have to hire and train up for this system. Kroger is also invested in larger carts that can get multiple orders, up to four orders per cart. So they're able to stage these carts in an area and have everything segmented away from the rest of the store. So within that area where they're going to be holding the merchandise that people are going to be picking up is about 1,200 to 1,400 square feet per location. Kroger had to look at all these individual locations in these North Texas areas and really see what locations can sustain an area segmented away from the rest of the grocery population to be able to hold this amount of merchandise. So they're really thinking that this program is going to get bigger and bigger. And so I think that's why they've really put so much money behind this program. But something that I wanted to take a little bit further is that Curbside models, in my opinion, are a bit less expensive than the same-day home delivery services offered now by Walmart in Denver and some Arizona markets. And if you look and compare, it's actually more expensive for the customer. You're talking about close to $15 for that same-day delivery service. And then also, you're not really getting the brand recognition with the Uber and Delive services that Walmart's offering. So I really think this is good. I think if people are out and about, if they're on their way home from work and have already used ClickList to decide what groceries they want, this is actually easier in my opinion and is kind of comforting for the customer to just drive up and know that everything's going to be taken care of. With the same-day delivery, I think the downsides are obvious. You have only a window to go by after you've made an order. And so you don't necessarily know exactly when you're going to be having your groceries delivered to your home. As far as the target market for this, you're looking, of course, at young families with kids. Certainly, a lot of people have remarked in the past that when you have kids, it's very difficult to get out of the car, go into the grocery store. So you've got a pretty large market there, as well as people stopping by on their way home from work. One of the things that you mentioned regarding the additional square footage needed, Kroger recently acquired a number of spaces in strip malls and shopping centers from other grocers like Sunfresh, Albertson and Tom Thumb in the North Texas area. And they've had to evaluate now each one of those locations. And some of those are rather small locations to begin with. So they might not be able to harbor the additional area for the carts for this curbside program. But the neat thing for the customers is they can select the date and time of their pickup. So you could order something conceivably at 8 a.m. and it would be ready at 5 p.m as you're leaving work or as you're going by the store. They do accept right now debit and credit only. You're unlikely to see that aspect of it change. You don't actually pay through the website. You only pay when you pick it up. And right now, at least in North Texas, they've got 40,000 items that are available, including produce and meat. Now, not a lot of these stores are in the Dallas area. More of them are in the Fort Worth area, north or south of Fort Worth. But they're planning on expanding it further into the Dallas area, away from Fort Worth, and then, of course, north and south from there. They've had success in other markets with this, especially in Virginia and, as we mentioned already, in Ohio. So lots of interesting things happening in the grocery space with apps and Omnichannel. 
And this is just the latest step in the system for Kroger. Well, a story that raised a lot of eyebrows this week was news that Eminem and Mars were meeting with a variety of companies that they partner with to potentially discuss removing their products from products that their partners sell. This comes as part of a mission that Mars has been on. They've been very proactive about ingredients and making sure that they're making health-conscious decisions at the corporate level. They stopped selling king-size candy bars, for example, in 2013. All of their snacks are currently under 250 calories per serving. They've issued a number of press releases that extol the virtues of eating sweets in moderation, and they're worried that some of these partnership products, like a McFlurry, for example, might exceed that rule about moderation. Right now, I really applaud Mars's efforts to make their products more transparent and really step back and say, listen, we don't want to be associated with these other snacks like the McFlurry and things of that nature that people look at as unhealthy overall. You see just as an example, the McFlurry has almost 22 teaspoons of sugar. I mean, that's insane. But M&M's on their own have about 7.5 teaspoons of sugar. So for about a couple of years now, Mars has really been outspoken and, and really has made some strides in terms of their overall health concerns when it comes to the American public. They actually made a comment as far as what they endorse as far as limiting sugars and supporting U.S. government labeling recommendations. So in May of 2015, they actually made some historic comments. What they did was they wrote a letter to the World Health Organization the U.S. Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee and the U.K. Scientific Advisory Committee on Nutrition. And so they basically said that no more than 10% of overall calories or energy intake, if you will, should be derived from sugar. This is really big when you think of Mars's holdings. They offer Snickers, M&Ms, Skittles, Twix, Dove, Orbit, Milky Way. I mean, if you think of sugary brands, you think of Mars. And so this is taking a step forward if you're them and really trying to tell the public, listen, you're on board with these health recommendations. Not only do you support them, but you'll go above and beyond. And they've actually reformulated products to reduce trans fatty acids. They've promoted reduced salt content and saturated fats in all of their portfolio. And so I think that overall, you're really seeing a progression of candy brands like Mars, but I think they're able to do this primarily because they are a privately owned company. If you look at companies that are publicly owned, I don't think you would see this progression or at least not as fast. And it's important to note a lot of the news articles that have come out around this story treat it like it's inevitable that M&Ms won't be in the McFlurry in the future. A couple of the other products that were mentioned by Reuters, Dairy Queen's Blizzard, Burger King's Snickers Pie. I don't think that's the case. In fact, they're just starting conversations, and this is one of a number of conversations that they're having with their partners about essentially responsibility surrounding sugar. Now, Dairy Queen's Blizzard, perhaps even a worse offender than the McFlurry, a large Dairy Queen Blizzard has about 1,100 calories and 150 grams of sugar. So that's a lot of sugar when you're looking at Dairy Queen's Blizzard. Now, some of it is lactose, but a lot of it will be you know, straight up sucrose or fructose. Burger King Snickers pie is somehow only 300 calories. I think that has to do with the fact that the interior of the pie is whipped, but 25 grams of sugar there and that's something that seems like you would only see in the fast food industry 
Again, everything is in the talk stage, and corporate responsibility is all good, especially when it brings you positive public relations. But after a while, the company needs to look internally and say, are they willing to take a hit in sales in order to generate positive PR? There's about 340,000 blizzards at Dairy Queen sold each day. And let's use these blizzards as an example. They have 15 varieties of blizzards at any time. If you assume that the M&M's blizzard is 115th of their blizzard sales overall. That's 8.27 million M&M's blizzards sold each year on a conservative estimate. The actual number is probably a little bit greater because of that brand recognition. So when you're looking at losing out on money from over 8 million blizzards sold each year at Dairy Queen, that's a risky move even for a private company to make. The same thing could be said of McFlurries. In some markets, McFlurries are seasonal. It was something that was created in Canada about 20 years ago. And as far as M&M's is concerned and Mars as a company is concerned, they have to ask themselves, is it a good thing for us to exit these type of partnership products because you lose brand recognition, you lose third-party advertisements, essentially, and some of the cooperative advertisements when you're in a product like a Blizzard or a McFlurry, and you lose the money from your business-to-business connection there and from selling McDonald's or selling Dairy Queen, the M&M's that they use in their products. So there's a lot to kind of absorb here for Mars. And this is a high risk, but potentially high reward investment. I think it is high risk. I mean, that that really is the epitome of this transaction overall. If they were to leave these partnerships, they really had to look back and say, were our goals interfering with our partnerships? And I think they were because not only did they have the 250 calorie limit here per serving, but they also had the idea that they should no longer be marketing to children under 12. I think we all know that a lot of these shakes and other items that they've partnered with have marketed to children in the past. Overall, you have that aura of advertising to the masses. And so I think that really went against their beliefs or at least what they thought was right when they put this out over a year ago. I think overall this is going to be an interesting dynamic. Most of what they sell is viewed as unhealthy, but yet they are trying to take that healthful stance and trying to educate the public into what they're intaking. So all in all, I'm really curious as to how this is going to play out in the long term. So now it's time for our last segment on the Food Focus podcast, a segment we like to call What We Ate, where each one of us samples a product new on the market, or at least a product that's different that's come out onto the market. I wanted to sample Single Track, which is a rye pale ale made by Boulder Beer Company. The significance of that is that it's actually a 3.2 beer that they make exclusively, essentially, for grocery store sales. But I went another route with this. Dunkin' Donuts, you might be familiar with, in the last 24 hours before us recording this podcast, announced that they will be rolling out cold brew nationwide. Now, granted, this cold brew rollout comes after Starbucks has already executed a nationwide cold brew rollout, and Starbucks announced that they would be bottling and selling their cold brew in retail grocery stores. So in that spirit, I wanted to try a different type of cold brew coffee that's been recently released to the market. This particular type of cold brew that I tried today is from Califia Farms, which is an almond milk provider. And they used to sell iced coffee under the same brand. They changed it all to cold brew back in March. So the labeling is different and the taste is slightly different. This is the XX Espresso version of their cold brew coffee made with almond milk. It's dairy-free, soy-free. 
And I've actually been drinking it as the podcast has gone on, which is why I have a terrible stuttering problem probably today, because it does say that it has a double dose of caffeine in it. But overall, I would say that this is a, a pretty serviceable product. It does seem to be a little bit forward with the almond milk. Some of the coffee flavors come in kind of on finish. Overall, a decent product. Price point was about $5 for a 48-ounce bottle of it, so a fairly large bottle for $5 and certainly per ounce cheaper than what Starbucks will be offering in terms of their bottled cold brew. But this isn't a bad offering at all. Certainly just slightly sweet. It's not overly sweet as a lot of the cold brew products are. Maybe not my favorite thing in the entire world, but again, this is the XX Espresso Cold Brew Coffee from Califia Farms that I tried. Well, Trent, that sounds pretty good. I myself, I'm not too into coffee drinks, but occasionally I will have something like that from time to time. Then it sounds like that's actually a new product for them to be offering. That's something that's in a, a popular millennial niche, if you will. For me, since we last recorded last week's Food Focus podcast, I only actually ate out once and tried one product that actually it's not new to me, but it's actually something I wanted to discuss because it's something that I love and it never gets old. And for me, that's Chipotle. I had a, a burrito bowl. I always get chicken, occasionally steak, but 90% of the time I get chicken. I got to say, I, I know our listeners are probably rolling their eyes right now, but I've always been a fan of Chipotle. And you know what? I haven't stopped going since their food concerns earlier last year where I live. They didn't have have any food concerns and I actually never stopped going and I'm going more than ever since Chipotle had offered a free burrito with the purchase of $25 gift cards so I actually ended up getting three gift cards totaling $75 and ended up getting three free burritos on separate transactions for that that's actually what I ended up using this time again I got a chicken burrito bowl and it was as good as ever yeah, not only are audiences rolling their eyes, but I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> you go through this and try unique food, and you pick probably one of the most common food items in terms of the fast casual market in the United States. But that is interesting regarding the free burrito with the purchase of a $25 gift card promotion. And next week, I know what I'll be trying for next week. Burger King is rolling out these Cheetos, essentially, or they look like Cheetos, that contain macaroni and cheese. And they've got this fried Cheeto coating. They're releasing it at the beginning of next week, and that's what I'm going to try out and report back on before next week's podcast. Do you have any ideas about what you'll eat other than a Chipotle burrito bowl? No clue. I, I really haven't been thinking about it too much, but I'm sure I'll get something in there. Maybe not as unhealthy as something like you're going to try. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to limit myself to like one or two Cheetos so that I don't go massively over my daily sodium intake. They do look delicious, but it might be a bit much for my delicate constitution. Anyway, for Leighton, I'm Trent saying so long on the Food Focus podcast. Be sure and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Republic, and Podcast Addict. And also check out our companion podcast, Retail Focus Podcast, that goes up live every Wednesday. Have a great week. This has been the Food Focus Podcast. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. For more information or for past podcast episodes, visit us online at retailfocuspodcast.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at The Food Focus for news in the restaurant, fast food, beverage, and grocery industries. Thank you.